Hi everybody, everyone hear me? We try to go with that microphone. Um, so you're pleased to know we're not going to talk about the National Rivers Authority today or anything to do with water particularly, unless you particularly want to. Um, bit of housekeeping, um, I've brought six copies of both books I've written to date um, on, the, on the table over there, first come, first served. Um, if anyone does want a book and doesn't get one today, then um, feel free to contact us and we'll make sure we get a copy. Uh, the other thing is, um, uh, as a special offer for those of you attending today, if anyone would like any help at all, if anything that comes out of today's talk, then feel free to contact me and I'll give you a free hour, okay? Um, and hopefully I'll make a bit of a difference. So, um, my name is Paul Waite, I'm the founder of Aspen Waite. Uh, we're originally a West Country firm of chartered accountants, and now I like to think we offer a service which is unique in the country. Uh, we're ba basically aiming to offer um, an international firm set of advisory services to the SME market. Uh, and in particular, um, we don't differentiate at all in size, so we don't care whether you're a pound or a billion pounds. Okay, looking for this. As the Welsh would say, a bit of oil. So, probably you're all thinking, what's this crazy title all about? I walked into a stream. So, um, walked into a stream, became a river. I was on the phone to an Irish colleague of mine last year, and he said, Ah, oh, Paul, how's it going? Whatever, you know, sorry, should have done that. Bad, bad accent. So, he asked me how things were going, and uh, I tend to talk, tell stories and metaphors quite a lot. Um, so, I basically said, Jerry, I'm rather proud of this, I said, Jerry, I walked into a stream. And it became a river. And I thought, what a brilliant, what a brilliant saying that is. So my third book is actually going to be called that, um, and everything that goes with that. So um, I then realised um, it was it was a metaphor. So if, if any of you do choose to read my first book, you will see that um, 12 years ago, uh, really through complete stupidity, uh, idiocy, impatience, uh, and all all sorts of bad words. Uh, I ended up uh, driving into a Ford, uh, which I convinced myself was OK because it was open. Uh, within two seconds of going into the Ford, uh, the electrics went out of my car and it started heading down what was really a river. Uh, the water came into my car, uh, slowly came in and eventually got to my chin. Uh, and I continually, I can remember thinking, I, 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 I wasn't supposed to die like this, that was my first thought. Uh, and I had a plan, which was to get to the back of the car and do what they do in the films and wait for all the water to come in and then open the door. So that was the, the plan, but uh, the Lord must have been looking down at me that day, so I was doing this the whole time with the electrics, even the electrics were down. And eventually, about the 80th time, I pinged the sunroof and opened. <laughs> So I went on top of the roof in about half a second, <laughs> dived into the water, which took me another five minutes to get, because the river was so swollen and whatever. I had, the only way I could move was to actually do um, doggy, doggy paddle to get to the side. A uh, farmer saw me there and he said, last guy this out until you die, he says. So, um, so that was, I, I'd already thought of this and I realized it was a metaphor. So uh, at that point in my life, I just, um, effectively been running a group for a friend of mine who was a very famous rally driver who got killed in his farewell rally and um, took my eye, uh, and I suppose through being a very loyal sort of chap, I took my eye off Aspen Wake's um, eight ball if you like and um, we'll see when we come on to, uh, when we come on to uh, our graph which I'll show you there. So this is, this is um, 
26 years of aspen weight. Um, and you can see um, slugs. So Paul nearly died um, somewhere around here. Um, about that point in time, I looked out, I was only spending about nine hours a week on Aspen Wake work because I was effectively running uh, the Lovell Group, which, um, to be fair, is quite good in terms of my credibility, in terms of advising other people, because um, not many accountants can say that they've run a, a 100 million turnover shipping in a logistics group and taken it from 20 million to 100 million like I have. I've been interviewed in the Sunday Times Fast Track 100, for instance, and won a number of regional awards. Um, so anyway, um, you can see there that actually over most of the period up to about here, actually our growth was about 20%. And then in the last recession, which I would say peaked about 2009, um, it'd be true to say that I completely lost my way. Dispirited. Uh, I was sitting on a park bench in Argyle Street in London with a friend and I said, I, I, would, I used to be able to back myself against anyone in the world in terms of forward thinking and budgeting, and I said, I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And he said, I feel like that as well. So, for the first time ever in Aspen Wake's history, our turnover contracted over a year. And being a, a chopsy sort of fellow, I sort of thought, well, basically, it's either sort of accepting mediocrity or, or doing something about it. So I, I thought doing something about it seemed like a quite a good idea. So, effectively, um, I rebranded Aspen Weight as a professional services company, away from being a firm of child accountant, which is quite a brave thing to do when you're a dull person like an accountant, because the comfort of having chartered accountants on your diary, etc., is, is actually quite immense, you know. So, to take that thing off and, and put trusted advisors, which is what we put, was, um, was a big step, but obviously it was the best, best thing I've ever done. Obviously, looking back today, now you can see that uh, we've experienced probably for uh, four years now what you might regard as hockey stick growth. And perhaps my biggest challenge actually has been um, uh, managing the growth and not overtrading rather than uh, worrying about where the, where the money's coming from with the next sale. So, we have a fantastic lead generation program. Um, anyway, I, th I thought I'd flag that up just to, just to show you a uh, bit of credibility perhaps. Um, one of the things, um, so I, I, I'm not very good at talking for 30 minutes, as uh, some of you will know. Uh, so uh, it, it's a bit like a car going down a hill and trying to stop after 100 yards or something, you know. <laughs> so uh, I gave a lot of thought to um, what I wanted the legacy of today's meeting to be. Uh, and uh, I, had, I had the most amazing meeting yesterday with a lady called Mel Curtis who is the founder of a business called Winter in Venice that are based in Amesbury. And it inspired me so much, I decided that I would change my presentation and share some of it with you. And, and in fact, give, give, give some of what I learned yesterday to you as well. So, um, there's Ross gone. Young Ross here is my marketing executive. Um, amazing stuff. So, um, we've actually put two new slides in since we were here, which is uh, pretty good work, I reckon. Uh, and I hope that, um, that uh, what, what I'm going to give you today is of some benefit to you and, and helps you um, stand out from the crowd, shall we say. Um, so, 
going back to the beginning, one of the things I like about this photo, I've got, I seem to have even less hair when I was younger than I do now, so I felt quite, quite good about that, actually. I looked at it and I thought, oh, success. you know, come on, you know, who needs Austin Healy? So, uh, those of you who have seen me talk before, um, I quite often lead off and, 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 I, and actually, uh, it's true to say I've made every mistake a man can make, and, 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 and more, probably, I could write a book on it, in fact I have. So the whole point of my first book in particular was to try and tell the world what a numpty I was and all the stupid things I did in the hope that other people wouldn't do them. So it seemed quite a, a, a laudable thing to do. So um, it was a very honest and reasonably witty book, I think, I like to think. So those of you that uh, get to read it, I hope you enjoy it. So these are some of the things that I did. How many business owners do we have in the room? How, how, how many of you will admit to some of those? All of them? Anyone make all of them? I think, I think the sad thing about life is that uh, uh, I often think that there ought to be some sort of educational process that prepares you for business, because no one teaches you how to be a director and how you're supposed to do it, how you, how, even how to behave in disappointment. You know, I often sit there and think, I'm not quite sure what to do now. You know, I'm really glad I've got a coach. I often sit down my coach and I say, right, I actually behaved like this two days ago. I'm not really, is that, do you think I should have behaved like that? Is that the appropriate way to behave? Because nobody tells you, do they? So I think, you know, one of the things I would encourage people to do, uh, which, which I'm very much trying to do now, so even in, in a medical situation, you know, I've got things marginally wrong with me, which I could have avoided if I hadn't been such a lumphead. And I say, I say to the nurses, if there's one thing me being a lumphead, but I can stop other people doing that. So, you know, I freely talk at events to, to try and get people to be, you know, far more grown up, shall we say, in terms of um, care, shall we say, those sort of things. So I think, you know, one of the most important things is to share with other people, to talk to people. Um, if you're happy or you're sad, or whatever it is, talk about your aspirations, about what you're hoping to do. I mean, where's John Oak? So, for instance, I was a meeting with John there recently, wasn't I? I had an idea, and I drew it down on the pad, I showed it at him, didn't I? And I said, what do you think of that, John Oak? Yes, pretty good boss man, he said. So, um, so here we are, uh, lots of mistakes. So, um, there's a, I mean, has anyone taken this test before on, um, on, the, on the internet? Uh, so it's basically, um, who knows about this, about eight different types, is there, boss? So you've got the thinker, the doer, and this sort of thing, you know. Uh, so fortunately for uh, my firm, I came out, actually came out as a visionary, which was just as well, I suppose. So this, this isn't necessarily about me, this is actually um, the definition, isn't it, of a visionary? Um, probably not, not far off the mark, to be honest <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to put, instead of emotional, I'd like to put empathic or something, but... Um, so, uh, for those of you, um, if you're interested, either write this down or, or ask, uh, well, ask Ross later. Um, it's, I think it's quite an interesting thing to do to find out what your profile is. Um, so, one, one of the things I've invented is a, is a saying which I call serendipitous synchronicity. How this, how this arose was... Um, I suppose, you know, you're familiar with the saying, the harder I practice, the luckier I get, um, which has been accredited to a number of people, including Tiger Woods, I believe. But I think it probably predates him. Gary Player. Gary Player, yeah. I've even heard people say it was Nicholas or Palmer, but um, obviously there's a lot of truth in that, you know, the, the better you are at something, I think. And also, I think, um, like attracts like. So I'm, I'm finding at the moment, because I have 
a powerful message, which I believe in. Um, uh, I, I, I hate to say this, but I, don't, I hope I don't offend anyone. I feel like a mini Jesus standing at the, you know, when people are coming to, to take the. It's all right with you, Alison, to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you, you have a cause, and people believe in it. They think, yeah, you know, we want some of that. Let's, you know, let's let's go and do some more. So, um, so I used to go around saying saying that what I was doing was serendipity, you see, which which implies that it's fortunate. And I said this to my wife one day, and she said, no, it's not serendipity, it's more synchronicity. Synchronicity being more things that, that arise out of the benefit of creating a situation for yourself, I guess. So I decided, being an obtuse sort of fellow, that I would invent serendipitous synchronicity. Um, um, so uh, as you see, the horror press up here I get. So there we've got the definition of that. And I've got a really good story to, to share with you. Um, it's one of the things I like to do. Uh, and I, again, I would urge uh, each of you to do this. I think telling stories is a wonderful way of communicating with people. Uh, because if you can actually tell somebody, uh, instead of sitting there and saying what the coach does, um, this is what to do next, but it's like a Janet and John, do you know what I mean by that? It's a, it's a formulaic, one-size-fits-all approach. You can actually talk to them about an experience you've had yourself. So you tell them a story, you know. And so uh, my story, which fits in beautifully with this, is uh, last week I was cold mailed, whatever the saying is. I was sent an email by someone I didn't know, recruitment consultant, and uh, for whatever reason, eventually I decided to read it. Don't know why, but I did. And there were two positions on there that, how do I put it back? I put, there are two positions up here that are not exactly of disinterest to me, I said, you know, being a non straightforward fellow. And anyway, so the, the lady that picked that up, um, then obviously it could have, this is where it's, this is where the serendipitous synchronicity comes in. Obviously at that point in time, she then had a decision, didn't she, as to how she was going to deal with this response. So I think she sent me an email back, she said she was going to be near my office in a couple of days. My first reaction was to be a bit cool about it, so I don't know that we want to do that, <laughs> I thought about it. I can't remember what happened in between, but anyway, sometime between the original email and the, 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 the morning, I decided that I would give her 20 minutes of my time. Uh, how long did that 20 minutes turn into? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Rebecca turned up um, and she, she was the epitome of a poor person, if you like. So uh, she totally got it. She, uh, she said to me um, on the phone, actually, she said, so what am I going to charge you? I thought, what a stupid question. So I said, nothing. I thought, what, what, what would you have said? I mean, you know, someone's going to charge me something. You're not going to say, charge me 10 million pounds, are you? So I said, well, I think it'd be really nice if you didn't charge me anything. So anyway, she said, how about 12%? So I said, that sounds all right. And then obviously I then, for the first time, started engaging with her and I said, That's the, that, that is the sort of behavior you would expect from someone that knew me for a long time. Because you know, people, when people behave like that, then I want to engage with them. You know, it's a, I think that's a smart, some of the smartest things you've ever done. More than she or I would ever have realized, this is why it's such a powerful story. So um, the 20 minutes turned into an hour and a half. We had a fantastic meeting, didn't we? The whole marketing department joined in. A really open discussion about what we needed and what we didn't need. Um, within a day, she and I wrote the job descriptions and the adverts for two jobs. And um, when she was, when she was uh, sort of introducing herself, one of the things she said was, uh, uh, my husband's a guy called Shane Griffiths and he's leading the digital revolution. 
a witch my ears picked up, worked up big time. And I went, really? Because uh, one of the things with being, being in the, the field we are, where we're effectively uh, providing every service that a company could want, being seen to be involved in the high tech space and digital is, is very important to me. And it's not something really we've been doing, is it, Ross? You know, particularly well. So I couldn't believe this. But, and I was about to say to her, uh, I'd like to meet your husband, and she beat me to it. And she said, oh, maybe um, Shane could provide uh, some sort of subcontract role for you. So I, to which I then said, funny you should say that, because I was about to mention that to you. So anyway, um, he then came over to the office, when was that, two days after that? Um, and again, completely, uh, the whole experience has completely changed Aspen Wake forever, I would say. So it turns out that um, he's founded a new organisation called Digital Taunton, which has already got 337 members. At his last event last Thursday, had 97 people turn up for the event. So me being an opportunistic fellow, which again, I would very much urge all of you to do this. One of my favourite sayings is, if you don't ask, you don't get. Nothing wrong with being cheeky. What's the worst that happens, yeah? So I said to Shane, uh, I'd like some of that. I really want to be in the digital space. How about you let me have the rest of the country? But I'll share it with you. I want to have digital wantage. I want to have digital Cardiff. I want to have digital deal. And uh, anyway, yesterday he came back and he said, yes, I'm pleased to agree with you. I'm happy to do that. So here we have a great story of three people engaging with each other who didn't even know who they were a week ago. Uh, and I would go so far as to say that I'm not the same person I was a week ago. I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to say. So I suppose the moral of the story as well is, you know, you create your own luck, the doors open for you, it's very important, you recognise it and you go for it. So, um, just, just so you can see, uh, from, from a, a base in Somerset, we've now become a national com company. Um, we've got eight separate companies across the UK. And because, because basically our pledge is to look after everyone, so it's basically any size, anywhere, any sector, any, 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 any something else, whatever it is, um, by definition, by necessity, we have to become a national firm. We've got no choice. You can't turn around something in Inverness and say, sorry, you're too far away. You know, you don't fit into my, my neat little formula. So one of the things that I decided when I rebranded Aspen Way was I had to make it easy for people to do business with us. So again, that's one of my tips to you today, is I also call it taking away the opportunities for people to say no to you. You know when you sit down in front of a new customer and you're conscious that, what's the saying? No one ever got sacked for hiring Grant Thornton. I wouldn't say that if you were in Xerox, but you know, in my field, you know, that's something somebody would say, you know, you don't get sacked for hiring Grant Thornton. Now, I can tell you, Grant, apologies for anyone Grant Thornton in here, but Grant Thornton don't do good work in my experience. You know, they just plagiarise the work of other people. Um, so the point is, is that if you're going to, you know, if you're, if you're an SME and you're trying to fight in that space, you've got to do something about it, haven't you? You know, you've got to create some differentiation, you've got to make people feel you're, you're special, and you've got to take away those opportunities that people can easily say no to you. So it's things like what you look like, what your brand is, what your website looks like. There's nothing in your armoury that lets you down. Yeah, it should be obvious, shouldn't it? But, you know, it, it, it isn't sometimes. 
So um, one of the things we've done, um, so come on to some of the things I know. So uh, a young lady sitting at the back here with her sunglasses on, Samantha. Um, I'm very fortunate to meet Sam five years ago. And that would again be a synchronicity, serendipity thing moment. Uh, because until that moment, I was obviously an accountant, walking down an accountant's road. And through meeting Sam, I was able to walk down a road that an accountant wasn't able to walk down. Uh, Sam, uh, so John, uh, with glasses on his head, um, was a business growth manager, is that what you were? Senior manager for um, South East, South, 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 I suppose, really. So how many of you had any business with business growth service? Anybody doing through them? Issue. Um, so business growth service obviously is government department, part of the DTI, TI that now is. And uh, effectively through meeting Sam, uh, I, was, I was able to start talking at effectively government-backed events as a specialist. And obviously, again, this is one of the things, obviously if you're no good at you know, if you've got aspirations to be successful and you're not very good, I would suggest you gave up. But uh, well, I think in my case, uh, I had a bit of talent, so I just needed a bit of help, I suppose, you know, pointing in the right direction. And, um, and how many people would say they were best kept secrets? Does anyone feel they're a best kept secret? Does that people know what I mean by that? So you've got this really great business, but and if people knew you were there, they would use you. Can people identify with that? So I think you know that's that. What, what I was was a best kept secret. And I was able to do great work if the opportunity arose, but I wasn't doing it as often as I should have done because people didn't know I was there all the time. You know, uh, and, and what Sam helped me do was to was to go down this unique path really. So we're now walking down a path that no one else before or since, fortunately, has managed to walk down. So we've, we've created this, um, this, this new uh, service, which we call the Complete Business Growth Service. Uh, says what, you know, it means what it says on the can, whatever the saying is. So literally, we offer every service anybody could want. Doesn't matter what it is. And if we, if we can't offer it ourselves, so you could argue with Alison and Alec, you know, they, they run you know, what we consider to be the best firm of expos or whatever in the country, so we've allied with you for four years now. Yeah, so Alison would be what I would call a trusted partner. Uh, people that share our, myth, our, our ethical values and our integrity. And you're successful because you have integrity, and I think yeah. that's important to any business. And even listening to you today, you do have the talent, but you have the value of the integrity to follow it through, and I don't know about anybody else, so that's what we're looking for. Yeah, so we, 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 we partner um, with people that don't that offer a specialist service we can't, that we consider effectively the client would get the same degree of care and overall quality as we would give. So uh, there's that, it's all fits together. Um, I want to make sure that, uh, if I, as I will run out of time, oh, where's, my, where's the thing gone, Ross? Oops. I think of, um, sorry, I should have said I was a dinosaur as well, that would have helped, wouldn't it? So the tips I think we want to go on. So, um, so basically, what, what, took, what took me from the guy who died in the car to the guy talking to you today? Uh, turnover is eight times bigger today than it was then. Borrowings are nearly four times less. So probably 30 times more lonely gear today than I was when I nearly died. 
So, um, in my opinion, I just thought about so why was what, what, why was that possible? Firstly, uh, which goes right back to the beginning. Um, I think I created a great name. People think Aspen Wake sounds like it's supposed to. It's it's almost like you should know who we are, you know. And I did that on purpose. Uh, and to prove that, within two years of starting up on my own, uh, I, I was originally retained by first group PLC, you know, as in Great Western Railways and all that, as a financial consultant for their European expansion. Within six months, I became managing consultant. Um, and, uh, and I think that was all because uh, I was able to uh, puff myself out to look acceptable to that corporate world, if you like. Yeah? There was no reason for not to hire me, and actually, I can remember after the first board meeting, those of you who know Bridgewater, uh, people from Bridgewater like me get a lot of stick, for good reason, I would say. So they actually said to me, you know, when we, were, when we first met you, we thought we were alarmed that someone from Bridgewater was, um, was going to work with us. <laughs> so, but we thought we'd give it a go, and, you know, you'd be useless, but actually, you're rather good. <laughs> so, uh, and, and basically what happened was, just through sheer bloody-mindedness and uh, my... Uh, refusal to accept that I can't do anything. I managed uh, to become chief of the whole European project um, within three years of starting up my own business. Um, and I think that was because when the managing director came down to what was then my office, um, there was nothing there that made me look like I was a small company. You know, it looked like I was, you know, somebody that he could work with. So there was no reason not to use us. So. As I said, we decided to work with non-accountant. It's quite a big move for an accountant. Um, probably the biggest thing, and I would urge, uh, I think you said something earlier, Lee, about collaboration. So I think, arguably, collaboration is one of, if not the most important word in business. Collaborate with other people, you can achieve much more than you can on your own. You really can, trust me. Um, again, going to trust. My coach tells me that he's never met a chief executive more prepared to trust another person than me. Uh, apparently, it takes the average person 18 months to trust somebody. I, I, I've actually done deals with people on the first meeting. Look in their eyes, tell them what happens if they, if they annoy you. <laughs> Very s simple English. Uh, and it works, so far. Sometimes, I had a meeting yesterday with one of my colleagues, and I had to say to him, we're going to have to have a bit of corrective therapy here on chat, because you know, I, I over-trusted you, and I'm going to have to do something perhaps I should have done at the start. But, uh, you know, that isn't something that happens very often. And it's not terminal, we still have uh, immense respect. Um, probably one of, the, I, I would say, uh, one of the things which made everything possible was having our own marketing department. So we have, so one of the things is, you find with Aspen Way, everything we do, so even our presentations, uh, our website, our literature, it all looks beautiful. I think visual, visual impact is really important in business. And with people like pictures, people like visual images much more than they do writing and stuff. So um, marketing is incredibly important. Um, something that uh, you could actually argue uh, I owe to Alison and Alec is, I don't know if you remember talking to Ascot three years ago, two years ago. And you basically said I could talk about whatever I wanted, which was a very dangerous thing for them to do. And um, I'd just written my first book, or just about finished my first book, so I thought, oh, what the hell? So I put a picture of raising the bar up, which is what my first book, our book was called. And, um, and I don't really know what gave me the courage to do it, because um, 
I say, if you get to read my first book, it is really, you know, I talk about uh, not being able to go to work without drinking, you know, having to smoke if I'm stressed, you know, all sorts of things that aren't very flattering to me. Uh, and I decided, for whatever reason, that I was prepared to say that in public. Uh, and what blew me away, and of course, you know, this is, you know, I say with Alison Alec, uh, I wouldn't have had the forum to do that. So I stood up about, in our Scotland, about 50 people in the room, and started telling people about how I felt weak and how sometimes I could hardly get to work because I felt so desperate and worried and stressed and all these sort of things, but somehow I managed to do it. And to my surprise, everyone seemed to love it. Um, and this generally, without being sexist, it was the best I was going to say that what, what, I, what particularly uh, was interesting is that women in particular came up to me after the speech and said how, how um, I forgot what the word was, it was almost um, intoxicating, you know, to see a strong man of your age prepared to reveal such vulnerability in front of other people, you know. Uh, and so I started to think, gosh, you know, this, this, this person who has regarded most of his life as being a failure, because I do, I'm very hard on myself, so I've never felt that I, I actually um, was achieving what I could have done with the tools I was given, you know. And um, so to hear people say that, and, and that's why I said I found my voice. So it, it was the first journey. I, 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 I decided for whatever reason that I was going to share in public some of the things that I'd gone through. Really, I think because I wanted people like you not to go through what I did, genuinely. And of course, the reaction I got blew my mind because people said, Yeah, we really like this, and actually, we don't think you're a bad bloke, we think you're a good bloke, you know. Um, thank you for doing that, it's a really, really decent thing you're doing, sharing that with us. And so, what's happened over, well, over a sustained period since then is I've got more and more brave. <laughs> To the point one day I actually stood up and I said, Do you know what? No one cares about you other than me. I'm the only person in the UK who cares about all of you. Right? All the others, they care about you because you're 50 million turnover and you know you because you're doing this. But I actually don't care whether you're a little man or a big guy. I care about all of you, you know? And the thing is, I think the reason you get away with it, so I don't mean, I don't mean it like that, is I genuinely believe that. I when no one does righteous indignation better than me. So when I'm sitting there talking to someone, I passionately believe what I'm saying, and I think people believe that, you know. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a, I think, you know, one of the things I'd, I'd ask you all to think about is, is really being true to yourselves and being really honest with your customers and your staff about who you are, what it is you're trying to do. Um, even if it seems a bit crazy, I mean, half the things I do are totally crazy, but actually, what happens quite often is I do crazy things and suddenly people say they're brilliant. Or they became, they, they look brilliant looking back often. That's what happens a lot, I find, you know. So, um, one of the other things which um, defines me, and I think I would, you know, again, for any business owner, anybody that tries to run a business to make a profit is an idiot. Right? If you, if you try to run a business to make loads of money, you won't. That's my, that's my opinion. Right? You have to run a business based on offering the best possible service you can. And in my case, um, it's undriven by values. So what actually happens is when I obviously now have people trying to buy my business, 
and they, they don't understand me at all because they sort of go, 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, I just go, don't get it, do you? I don't, it doesn't matter how, you could say 500 billion, I'm still going to say no to you because I want to create a legacy. You know, I'm not driven by money. So think about what you stand for, what you want the world to look like, and see if you can play a part in that. Do your very best. That's, um, again, you know, some of you might think this is um, marginally crazy, and to you, um, you know, I don't really care because I know it works. So, um, in fact, uh, the friend I was with yesterday that inspired me, she even goes around hugging trees, and she genuinely believes that that works, right? And when she's talking to a client, she actually makes them talk aloud, yeah, because she thinks that they need to talk aloud for it to work properly. I, don't, I can't really, I don't necessarily believe that myself, I'm just saying, you know, uh, one thing I can tell you is, is I think, you know, something like fate works. You know, I think certain people are meant to meet certain people. Um, and you can influence that by how you behave and how you react to opportunities. And when the door is open, you recognize the door is open and you try to get down the door and get to the other end, you know, those sort of things. So how, you, how you react to things. It's not a pre-given that you are going to end up at the top table, but you have a chance to get to the top table, and then it's how you behave that determines whether or not you get there, in my opinion. And in my case, um, and this might sound a really arrogant thing to say, uh, I want to be great. I think I have a chance to be great, and I want to be. So I've stood up for other people and said in my, in my own team, and said, I believe I personally and Aston Lake corporately can be great. And you guys need to know that because if you don't want to be great, you better go work for somebody else. <laughs> because because I ain't going to stop evolving and adapting until we get there. I might fail. I'm not saying we are going to be great, but you know, I, I, I want to be. So, tips for today. Um, who's familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Everyone, anyone not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, big triangle, okay? At the bottom, basic stuff, food, bread, yeah? Making sure you're alive. Accommodation, get to the top, being married to uh, Miss World. That's, a, that's a start of aspiration, I don't know, really. <laughs> having, having a Ferrari, having a house in Bermuda, yeah? So you go up Maslow's hierarchy of needs from the basic to the top, yeah? So, what, what, um, I've only, I've only learned this recently, um, so what, what I, would, I would ask you to consider doing when you get back in five minutes, draw up your own little triangle and at the bottom put down the companies or the type of companies that are at the bottom of your market, okay? The people that offer, so if it was a supermarket, say, you might put Fortnum and Mason at the top, yeah, then Waitrose, you might have, I don't know, Cost cutters, I don't know, Iceland at the bottom, and then Liddles or something, you know, then Morrisons or so on and so forth. So, do your Maslow. It means think about where your business stands in the market. Who are your competitors? Who, who, are, who are the people you're competing with? And where do you sit in the food chain? You know, the other way of looking at it is the ocean, I like to think. You've got the top of the ocean with the big fish, the bottom of the ocean with the little fish. If you swim in the middle, you get attacked by both the big fish and the little fish, don't you? But you need to know where you are to know, you know which fish you're vulnerable to. One of the key things is you need to know who your competitors are, and in your mind, you need to know who your ideal customer is. Is there anyone here who thinks they know that? Do you, Lee? Yeah, so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's vital 
In my case, I actually say quite arrogantly, well, I don't think it's arrogant, I think it's true. I don't consider Aspen Wake has any competition other than in a space of 5% of the market. Because nobody else is trying to look after everyone, everyone like I am. And that's why, for instance, in the R&D space, I have done first of claim in numbers of sectors, care homes being a really good example. Because most people in my job are looking, looking like this, you know, whereas I'm saying, oh, hell, I can do anything, you know, it's a completely different approach. So uh, we talked earlier about removing the barriers that people say no to you. So make sure that if there's anything wrong in your business that's weak, get rid of it. Make sure your website looks like what you say it is. At the moment, I've got self-admission here, Aspen Waits doesn't. If you go on Aspen Waits website, we look like a funky firm of accountants. We might be a funky firm of accountants, but that's not what we are. What we are is we're offering this world-beating service, but you wouldn't know that if you go onto the website, you know? So um, that's really important. Um, I think it's very important all the time that you know where you're going. How can you get somewhere if you don't know where you're going to go? You know, it seems obvious, doesn't it? You know, I mean, the Brexit thing is probably the best example of that ever in history. You know, you've got a uh, complete absence of a plan and ill-defined questions in the first place, yes or no questions, when actually the answer is quite involved. Um, I mean, for instance, you know, one of the things I'm quoted many times as saying is that probably nearly every decision, the answer is depends. The answer is depends. It's not yes or no. It depends on the circumstances. You know? So what we ended up was that we had an ill-defined, an ill-defined set of questions, yes or no questions, and then we had a person trying to deliver what was leaving who didn't actually believe in leaving. Uh, he wasn't prepared to negotiate in the way that a normal person would. He caused disaster. Okay, so be a great example of failing to plan. There was no strategy, there was no vision, no end game, fail. Um, one of the things I think is a good thing to do, probably one of, the, one of the biggest things, one of the most important things to do as a business is to make yourself look different to your competitors, right? It's very important when people look at your business, they think you're different to somebody else. Because otherwise, why not? Why not? You're, you're, you're just the same. If everyone's sending exactly the same golden chips, it just becomes a matter of random choice, doesn't it, as to which fish and chip shop you walk in, okay? So, um, things like writing blogs, Doing things which aren't threatening. You're not actually asking someone to buy something. You're just going out there. You're writing things. People will follow you. Yeah? People will start to think. Um, I, for instance, um, do a podcast every Friday, um, which you might like to listen to. Last Friday was mostly about the planets. I was talking about the fact that two of the planets go around the sun a different way to all the others. The fact that Neptune is warmer than Saturn. And how funky is that? But what's that got to do with accounting? The answer is nothing. Right? I've learnt that actually uh, the fact it's got nothing to do with accountancy is a good thing because what I want is people to listen to me and think that was entertaining, that was interesting. I'm not asking, like I'm today, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking anyone to buy anything we're doing. I'm just sitting here and talking to you. I hope you feel better for the experience. And, and, and that's the thing. So do things, you might think they're a bit crazy, do things that have got nothing to do with your business. Yeah? Go on Facebook and write comments about the Davies hockey performance or something, you know, or, or what you thought about the English cricket team, or whatever it was, you know, it, it, it helps and it's sort of relevant to, to what you're doing, to be honest. Um, I think one of the most important things, which I've got very good at, is um, the number of times I've done something, and I don't even know what I'm doing myself, really, I probably do, but not to the point I could stand up and talk about it for hours, the podcast would be a great example. I, I decided last year we were going to start doing a podcast on a Friday. I mean, Ross in particular was like, what did you think of that being honest now? 
You thought it was your idea? That's a good one. That's, that's why I, I mentioned you in the first one, was it? <laughs> you were terrified, weren't you? You were terrified about what I was going to say. That's the truth of it. Um, so the fact is, I decided to do that. And now, of course, everyone's now saying, um, you know, doing a podcast is, is the way to go. You know, that's, that's, everyone's being encouraged to do podcasts. Um, so have an idea, go for it. Yeah? You're an entrepreneur for a reason. The reason you're the managing director is because you're the managing director. Don't let people who are, who are lesser than you talk you out of something, okay? I, I often say to people, I'm a bird, I need to fly, don't put me in a cage. That's one of my sayings, okay? So, uh, one of the other things, I think it's hugely important, we live in a society where other people in your network put you under pressure. Examples of where I get put under pressure is I already work too hard. I work every day. Doesn't matter if it's a Saturday, a Sunday, a Monday, or a Tuesday. I work for at least three hours every day. Right? It doesn't mean that I'm a Saturday. I might be a Saturday. Because the other thing is, uh, for instance, on a Friday at 4.30, I am in the gym. And it doesn't matter what anyone says to me, I'm in the gym. And I will get quite angry with people. If they try to say any reason why I'm not going to be in the gym at 4.30, they will get a lot of Anglo-Saxon from me. Okay? So the point is, is that um, what people do, well, they, they don't mean to do it, they'll turn around and say to you things like, oh, let's go and meet in Costa at seven, or let's have a beer at seven. No, I don't want to do that, because I do that, my whole world collapses. I'm already working too hard. You know, I need to have some rules, yeah? So you need to have the courage to say, no, I won't do that. No, no, uh, I, I used to, I, I had Angel Federation, uh, which used to scare me quite a lot, and I used to get very tired, and I used to get worried about getting up too early. And I remember one of my bigger clients uh, actually got quite angry with me because I didn't want to go to a tax investigation meeting at nine o'clock in the morning at Portsmouth. Right? And the truth of it was, is that I would have had to go up at quarter past six to go to that meeting and I was scared about the journey home. That's the truth of it, you know? So I basically said, I'm not, don't matter, I don't, I'm not going to a meeting at nine o'clock, you know? Uh, and, and I, I stuck to my guns. So have your me time. So the fact is, you know, whatever it is you like doing, make sure you do it. Yeah? So if you like having a glass of wine, have a glass of wine, sit in the gym, swim, go on holiday, listen to your music. Make sure there are times in the week where you're fulfilled. You get the time to have a break, yeah? Um, one of the other things really important is every part of your business has to be great. You can't just have a centre forward that scores 10 goals and then have a, a goalkeeper that lets in all the goals, yeah? You've got to have a great goalkeeper, a great centre forward, a great centre half, so on and so forth. So, uh, Samantha, who I mentioned earlier, you know, I credited with probably a large part of opening my eyes, uh, she finds me hilarious now because when I met her, I was the epitome of what you would call an intuitive entrepreneur. I didn't know what the word process meant, but it's one I wrote in a book, I read in a book somewhere, but. Um, and now, of course, I've turned into Mr. Process, haven't I? You know, so, um, and that's because I, I want to be great. We have to do everything. I'm the chief executive. It's incumbent upon me to make sure that my company evolves to the standard it needs to evolve to. So everything has to go. I know this, this, is, this should be apparent anyway, but service, service, service. Customer always comes first. Everything, default position, always make sure your customers are right. No matter how busy you are, you never, never, ever default on your customer service, the customer journey. The customer has to believe that you are what you say you are, or you're nothing, okay? And the other thing we talked about before is differentiate. 
right? The other thing you call disruption as well. Yeah, disrupt the market, be different to everyone else, do things. I'm doing this, disrupting the currency market. People are now coming along to me, like my own institute, and say, you know, you're not like anyone else, you go and talk to all these other people about what you do, because they need to be like you. So um, I think that's probably, probably, probably enough for today. Um, so any questions or anything you'd like to go back on, anybody? Oh, we're happy IP, yeah. And, um, and how boring IP can be. And that's when you came up with that happy <laughs> IP, and we then expanded that to just happy business. Yeah, so in the meeting I sent back John and I showed him a big picture, I drew a happy face to the sun on it. I put happy IP. I said, what do you think about that? Oh, okay. Good one. How would you know when this? How do you know? How do you know when you're the best? Okay. How do you know the best you can be? Well, you're saying you want to be the best. Maybe you should be the My coach would say that will never happen. I remember saying to him when when um, he did the trial. He's the managing director of Vistage. I don't know if I've ever come across Vistage. And I, I remember he tried something on me, and I said, Ah, what you should have asked me, John, is about uh, about when I'm going to get to the top of the mountain. And he looked at me and he said, but you and I know that's never going to happen, don't we? Because every day the mountain is getting bigger because you're changing the mountain every day. So the fact is, is um, one of the things I also say is what, what is good enough today isn't good enough tomorrow. And what's good enough tomorrow won't be good enough the day after that. So I think it's, the, the, I'd call it the relentless pursuit of excellence. Probably. I think when you think 1.4 billion is lost in customer service, in what? Customer service, by bad customer service, mm -hmm. across the board. And do you actually come into a market where you land disruptive marketing? Whatever mm. you've done, yeah, it's absolutely. been disruptive. I think it's come to a, a, a group of people that were they high business people in some ways and to be vulnerable was extremely brave. But it starts something that goes from there. And if you are disruptive in anything you do, <laughs> well, there's always one, yeah, probably. So uh, you never need to feel alone. I think feeling alone is one of the worst things as a business owner. 
certainly I felt alone a lot in my life and um, I think just feeling that I can remember um, staying with a client once uh, we had a couple of whiskies which helped me tell the truth uh, and I actually said to him, Terry, do you ever like have a panic attack for no reason? He went, yeah. Well, oh, thank God for that. Because you, know? <laughs> uh, you, you think that you're alluding, don't you? you know, you're the only person in the world who's feeling like you're feeling. But if you talk to someone else and they say, well, actually, I feel like that too. You know? Um, so I think, you know, just, just having a community, even if it's just a small number of people, uh, someone on your side and people you can talk to is a, is a great thing. Thank you very much.